There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey, everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Today on the program, we've got Daniel Cameron, and this is going to be a treat. You may know him better as the Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And he became a national star this past year through his Republican National Convention speech and uh, also because he is the AG who handled the Breonna Taylor case. This is one of the cases that was made a very, a very big national news story by Black Lives Matter activists and others who wanted to see three police officers indicted for murder after a young woman, Breonna Taylor, was tragically killed inside of her own apartment after the cops executed a warrant. Uh, we'll get into the details of that case in a minute, but this the, the grand jury basically did not recommend charging the officers with murder. Daniel Cameron, the attorney general, did not recommend that they return charges and indictment against the officers because there was a boyfriend inside the apartment who admitted he fired the first shot against the cops and actually got one of them in the femoral artery, that they were only returning fire, not starting it. And he was promptly demonized. Daniel Cameron happens to be black. Um, that made people attack him as some sort of a race traitor for not making sure there was an indictment. And he stood strong in the face of those attacks and did not back down at all. He always expressed empathy for Breonna Taylor and her family, but followed the law and uh, did it in a situation that was really tough and very fraught, very fraught, of course, as you know, given what the country's going through. So I admire him because he seems strong to me. I, if you have the time, go back and YouTube his RNC convention speech because it was great. And he's definitely a rising star in the Republican Party. He's only 35 years old. Um, he's married. His wife's a school teacher. He's from Louisville. That's how you got to say it. Louisville, not Lewis. <laughs> you probably knew that. And um, I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. But first, this holiday season is about celebrating and spreading joy to those we love, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our pets, everyone. That amount of joy, however, can require a lot of online holiday shopping. I'm sure you're in the midst of it as I am. And the more you do online, like gift giving and banking and even browsing, the more you expose your personal information, making you more vulnerable to crime. So now is the time to think about your cybersecurity. Seriously, now really is the time to do that. It's the end of the year. You can button it up. You can be all set for 2021 with the all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock. 
It's the easy way to keep your busy digital life safer in one place. Just get this and then you won't have to think about it. You get powerful protection for your devices, your laptops, your tablets, your phone, a VPN for your online security, for your online privacy, and LifeLock identity theft protection that alerts you about potential identity threats. No one, of course, can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor every single transaction at every business. But Norton 360 with LifeLock can help keep your holidays happy with powerful protection against these cyber criminals who are spending their holidays trying to figure out a way to get you. <laughs> Save 25% or more off of your first year at Norton.com slash MK. That's Norton.com slash MK to save 25% off. Now, we're going to get to Daniel Cameron in one second, but I do want to tell you just quickly first that um, we're new at the podcasting business here, right? I haven't done this before. It's my first Christmas season as a podcaster. And we were saying to each other, what are we going to do over the Christmas break? And I was like, well, we're going to put out new shows. And then we said, what did the competitors do? And do you know that I found that a lot of these podcasters do nothing? They just leave you hanging. So they get you hooked on your favorite podcast and then they go away and you, and you have nothing for two or three weeks. Or they run best of, or they, you know, they sort of phone it in. Not us, folks. I got you. Um, we are running all new episodes with really interesting people throughout the entire holiday season. So if you're into the show, you never have to worry that you're going to get something stale or that's not new um, or just a bunch of like repeats. We're not doing any repeats. You're just going to get all new content from us all the way through January. And, uh, you know, we'll just keep it rolling. So I've got you. And uh, I appreciate your loyalty to me. Our numbers have been skyrocketing. We're going up, up, up the charts. The downloads have been amazing. The subscriptions, amazing. Very grateful to all of you. And uh, we'll show it by keeping the fresh content coming. And now, without further ado, Daniel Cameron. Let's kick it off with some politics coverage, since this is the week that the Electoral College made it official uh, that Biden's going to be the 46th president of the United States. Let me ask you as a lawyer. Okay, forget. Obviously, you're a Trump supporter. You spoke at the RNC and so on. But legally, legally, do you have any problem with that? Well, look, I, I think uh, you know. I certainly am uh, the you know biggest supporter of President Trump, and have been grateful for the way uh, that he's poured into me and invested in the Commonwealth, um, and certainly uh, respect uh, the process that was undertaken in terms of uh, our court systems and and. Uh, really trying to expose uh, any sort of fraud that might have been undertaken during the election. But uh, the process has played itself out. Again, I have uh, just been uh, grateful for the way that uh, President Trump has worked for the American people over the last four years. Uh, I was with him uh, on Thursday, and he continues to uh, be an advocate and proponent of the working men and women of this country. And I think he has uh, shaped the Republican Party for years to come will continue to have a substantial uh, influence and will continue to be a contributing uh, factor in uh, the uh, the years to come. And I can't say enough great things uh, about uh, his leadership. But obviously, you know, I think as uh, as it was and is his right uh, to uh, pursue uh, the legal system to just make sure uh, that the uh, the ballots and the integrity of our election systems were upheld. And uh, I certainly uh, think that was his right to do that. But it, it looks like the electors will be uh, making the, the decision for Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. When you got up and spoke at the RNC, I mean, President Trump gave you that opportunity. And um, 
I know that you were also reportedly, well, not reportedly, I think it was confirmed, on his short list for the Supreme Court, which is pretty amazing because you're a young guy. Um, so, you know, President Trump actually has, of course, some people say he's a racist, a white super, all this stuff. But when it comes to actually giving opportunities to people of color, um, you're an example of him being pretty open minded to that. And I wonder what you think of all the claims that he's racist and he, you know, he's a white supremacist. Oh, it's completely absurd. It's a it's an absurd notion. Look, President Trump has been, uh, Megan, as you said, uh, uh, terrific to me, uh, but he's been terrific uh, to the black community in terms of uh, you talk about opportunity zones with Tim Scott and the efforts undertaken there to get those off the ground. Uh, you talk about some of the uh, increases in funding uh, for historically black colleges that came through this president. Uh, you talk about the economy, just in general, how the economy uh, before the pandemic uh, was was gangbusters in many ways and increased exponentially and increased opportunities uh, for black Americans all across the country. Uh, and you saw the uh, decrease in the unemployment rate for African-Americans. So uh, this president uh, also passed the First Step Act, which uh, was something that had been around in terms of an idea, in terms of a legislative proposal uh, for a while. But he was the first president to be able to get it un- get it done. Uh, that was criminal justice reform. Her, yes, ma'am. In, in order to uh, reverse some of the uh, decisions that were made in the uh, crime bill of 1994. And so this president, uh, look, you know, it's one thing uh, to to criticize someone for their rhetoric. Uh, but with President Trump, you have to watch and look at his actions. Uh, and that's why at the RNC uh, during the convention at the speech, uh, I was so complimentary of him because he has, again, been a staunch advocate uh, for the black community, but for all Americans. And that's what you should want in a president, someone who is going to fight uh, daily for the working men and women in this country. I talk about uh, my mom, who uh has been a uh, an, an advocate of the president and a supporter of the president. Uh, she, you know, look, she she lives in uh, Elizabethtown, Kentucky, E Town for short, right right outside of Louisville. Um, you know, she sees uh, every day the men and women of this country uh, in Hardin County that are are working every day uh, and uh, you know making decisions about where to put money uh, when they're around the dinner table, uh, and so. President uh, tapped into something and resonated with uh, millions of Americans. How do you feel about Biden? You know, I know at the RNC you said you said no one's excited about Joe Biden, and I, uh, in fairness, I think that's true. They they elected him, but I think even the Democrats weren't all that excited about him. But they got him over the finish line, and you know he, of course, the media likes to ignore it, but he has said some controversial things about race. Like there's no diversity of thought in the black community. That was one of the comments you raised uh, at your during your speech. And I know people just like to brush past that because he's a Democrat and they wanted him to win. The media did and, and the Democrats did. But how insulting. I mean, as a black Republican, what was your reaction to that? Well, it's, it's disheartening uh, when you see a major candidate for one of the parties uh, talk in those sorts of terms about uh, there being no diversity of thought within the black community, or uh, you ain't black if you uh, don't vote for, for Joe Biden. Those comments missed the mark. Uh, they were disparaging. I mean, it, it, it is um, incredibly ironic uh, that 
you know, the Democratic Party often talks about diversity, but really they only care about diversity if you have views that are consistent uh, with their priorities. And I, and I, what I hope my my speech reflected, and what I've tried to convey, is that you know black folks uh, and black Republicans in in specifically uh, should say enough is enough. Um, look, there are, are, are black men and women all across this country uh, that have views that are separate and distinct and apart from the Democratic Party, uh, and we should be past a point. Uh, where we should be afraid uh, to express our views. And so every time I get an opportunity, one, to say I support President Trump, two, to say I am a Republican, and three, uh, to say that this party is big enough uh, to, to, to embrace and welcome those uh, that, again, believe in those core values that I think most Americans hold dear, which is uh, we're going to stand up for our constitutional rights and liberties. And I think Joe Biden and elements of the Democratic Party are always trying to push the envelope uh, to restrict freedoms, uh, to change, uh, transform. I mean, you heard Chuck Schumer uh, talk a few weeks ago that, you know, first we're going to take Georgia and then we're going to change America. Uh, Those sorts of comments should be anathema to most Americans. Um, This country you know, we've always had challenges and, and, and will continue to have challenges. Uh, but the trajectory that our founding fathers put us on was the right trajectory. Uh, and so I, I'm going to continue to be a strong advocate uh, for those foundational views uh, that, that began this country uh, and that uh, I believe the majority of Americans value and appreciate. Now, you've taken far too much guff for the the sin of being a black man who supports President Trump and who pushes back on some of these narratives. And I've seen it happen to so many men and women like you. It makes me want to it makes me want to put somebody like you on and give you a microphone more and more and more, because the more they tell you you can't say something or be something, the more you want to say it and be it and, and say it and be it openly. Right. It's like, who says I can't? Who says I can't support President Trump is a black man who says I can't be pushed back on the Me Too movement as a woman who actually came out as somebody who had been targeted by a sexual uh, harasser. You know, it's like these narratives get started. And then if you push back at all, if you're supposed to be in the alleged victim group, you're some sort of a a turncoat. Right. Like they call you and Uncle Tom or they'll call me. I don't know what they call me. Not nothing nice, but I don't care. I don't care what they call me. Well, and and I, you're exactly right. I mean, I think at at some point you have to, um, and I I talk with, you know, my wife about this and 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 others. You you just have to be in the business of doing the right thing. And as the attorney general, um, you know, my the the, the value set uh, that that I'm responsible for upholding is our Kentucky Constitution, our United States Constitution, and that is a responsibility uh, that I, I take seriously. Um, and as it relates to being Republican, look, I, I, I proudly support uh, the, the virtues and the platform of the Republican Party. And um, again, another thing that I, I'll just reiterate is um, President Trump, again, uh, yeah, I've been reading over the last uh, uh, a couple of weeks a, 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 a new biography about uh, uh, President Ronald Reagan. And during the, the 50s, uh, and maybe the early 60s, you know this, he was a, a spokesman for GE. Um, and one of the things that he did during that time in GE is he'd go around to the, the factories and plants 
and talk to the folks that were on the line, that were working in these assembly lines and working in these plants. Uh, and that really informed his thought process uh, as he began his uh, political career. I think the same thing with President Trump. I mean, you know, what made as a, a man in, in the construction and real estate business, having, you know, soaked up all that knowledge and information from folks that working in the respective uh, industries that uh, he affiliated and associated with, he learned a lot and was informed. His thinking has been informed by that. Um, and he tapped again into something uh, in terms of the working men and women of this country uh, that I think will resonate uh, and have lasting staying power within the Republican Party. And I'm glad uh, because we talk about being a big tent party, uh, and uh, President Trump made that a reality. And uh, I think it's important that we have folks that look like me uh, uh, represented in the party, that we have uh, folks that um, uh, uh, you know, look like my mom, that look like you, that look like uh, uh, you know Asian, Hispanic, everyone, Cuban-Americans. Uh, everyone needs a, a seat at the table, and the Republican Party uh, is big enough uh, to, to make that a reality. All right. Let me ask you a tough question. As you mentioned Ronald Reagan, and I, I loved Ronald Reagan. My mother did not love Ronald Reagan, but I, I loved Ronald Reagan. It came out not long ago that he, he made some very racist comments in his time. It came out on the Nixon tapes uh, that he, Nixon was taping their conversations as he was known to do. And um, the one I remember just off the top of my head was they were looking at some UN event and Reagan referred to people from African countries as monkeys. And it's uncomfortable to read and to know occurred. And I just wonder, you know, on the outside, I'm a white woman. It, it doesn't make me hate Reagan. It makes me understand he was flawed and he was a man of a different time. But I'm not the targeted group there. I have been on the targeted group when I read things some of the old presidents say about women. Um, but how is that? How do you square that? Right. You're reading the book about the guy and you know this, that this is a comment he's made. And I'm sure it wasn't the only one. Well, look, I look, none of us uh, are perfect people and can make, uh, you know, rash uh, comments or uh, abrasive comments. And look, I all of us uh, fall short of uh, the. Uh, the top standard, which is, uh, you know, the, you know, there, there was only one perfect uh, individual and, and that was in the form of, of Jesus Christ. And so all of us in some way uh, have fallen short of that standard. And, um, you know, I, with, with President Reagan, um, I think, you know, from the, the point of perhaps when he made those comments in uh, with uh, uh, President Nixon, uh, to the point where he was a president, you know, there was obviously some time between there. So I don't want to uh, comment too specifically. Obviously, I don't think that was an appropriate comment to make. Uh, but a lot of time passed between uh, when he probably made those comments and when he was president. But again, we've all uh, in our respective lives probably said things uh, that we wish we sh shouldn't have said or, or, or uh, wish that we could take back. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that we said them. Uh, all we can do is repent and, and move forward. Uh, there are uh, instances in which, um, you know, I again, even in this uh, in, in this job, you say things uh, that you, you wish you wouldn't have said. So I uh, can uh, obviously look at that comment and say, no, that's not appropriate. Uh, 
uh, that's not right. Uh, but again, Ronald Reagan was a, a great president, uh, and you know his the 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 fight that he led against uh, uh, communism and the fight that he led uh, against uh, the Soviet Union's uh, view of what this world should look like. Um, the Cold War ended um, because that uh, of the way that he touted American greatness and democracy and freedom. Again, no one is perfect, uh, but I certainly appreciate um, the the that the mark that he left on the presidency uh, and the way that he shaped the Republican Party. Again, in the same way that President Trump has shaped the Republican Party. Uh, but uh, there's none of us that uh, I think have lived a perfect life. And uh, I think uh, whether it be Ronald Reagan or myself or, or, or any of us, uh, we've all fallen short in some way. More with Daniel in just one minute. But first, we know where the virus came from. But do you know where your mask came from? You should. The PPE shortage that we faced as a nation was due to the outsourcing of American manufacturing to China. Founder Lloyd Armbrust started his company to start bringing back manufacturing to the U.S. and to ensure this never happens again. The company produces both the materials and the masks in its Texas factory. How about that? If we don't want our country to shut down, we have to mask up. And not all masks are up to the task. Unlike cloth masks, gaiters or bandanas and the non-medical masks, Armbrust USA surgical masks are FDA listed and are independently certified to have ASTM Level 3 filtration, exceeding the highest safety standards. Now, what does ASTM Level 3 mean? American Society for Testing and Materials. It goes Level 1, 2, and 3. Level 3 is the toughest, like the best. And this exceeds the highest safety standards. Um, So this is a good mask, better than most. And that means the masks that are used by heart surgeons in the OR and by frontline workers are now available to protect you and your family. These things are triple layered, but they're still breathable and lightweight. That's key for me. They have a secure fit, two-way protection. They have an electrostatic defense shield for filtration, FDA listed, and again, ASTM level three certified, hypoallergenic, and most importantly, made in America. Go to don'tshutdownmaskup.com and enter the coupon code MK at checkout for a 20% discount on your order. Again, follow with me. Don'tshutdownmaskup.com. That's a good one. Don'tshutdownmaskup.com slash MK. I think you try to judge the full measure of the man. And it's like to look back at somebody like Winston Churchill, you know, who who fought Hitler um, and Ronald Reagan, who fought the communists and say anything other than they they were great men who did great things. And like all men and women were flawed, deeply flawed is to deny reality. As you point out, it's it's true of too many of us. All of us are flawed. Some of us are not great. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to get your perspective. You said you're re- reading the Reagan book. As we now go back into shutdown mode, city after city, state after state, as COVID is ramping up again, um, I what I see is mayors and some governors getting drunk on their own power. I understand that there's a pandemic and that they need to do something, but the willingness to just impose these sweeping shutdowns to the great detriment of business owners and children, children in particular, who are not 
super spreaders. The schools have been overwhelmingly safe. They can be kept safe and separated from elderly relatives by their parents. You know, the the whole shutdown of schools assumes zero personal responsibility when it comes to the kids and their parents. Anyway, um, I I wonder if you think we're going to see more and more legal challenges over the next six to 10 to 12 months before the vaccine is widespread and hopefully we've achieved herd immunity um, because it's not shutting, it's not clo- uh, slowing down. It's ramping up the shutdown mania. Mm-hmm. I, I think you are certainly going to continue to see um, more and more um, interested parties, meaning, um, you know, restaurants and uh, schools and uh, religious institutions um, and, and and uh, you know, folks out here that have just got tired of 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 being told uh, what they can and cannot do. I, I think you're going to continue to see more and more of those folks uh, enter into uh, the the justice system in, in the legal context uh, to push back against some of these really arbitrary uh, orders. I mean, I, I before our governor shut down our restaurants for three weeks, they're fortunately able to open back up, but he shut them down. For three weeks, this was after a period where they were allowed to be open. But even before that, they were closed. Um, and you know, a lot of these decision, the decision making process uh, that has occurred during this ha- has really been arbitrary. I mean, we had uh, at the beginning of, of this pandemic, our, our governor had essentially tried to shut down all travel outside of Kentucky, um, uh-huh. in person worship services. He tried to you know uh, shut that down as well. Uh, we, in both instances, you know, push back pretty strongly against those, either in, in court challenges or uh, supporting court challenges. Uh, and so it and, and we were fortunate to have federal courts that uh, agreed uh, with our position and agreed with other interested parties that, you know, he was intruding upon constitutional rights. Uh, but to your point about a lot of these governors, either because they've appreciated the limelight and attention that this, they, that this has given them or. Uh, have really made some arbitrary decision making. Look, I, I've said from the beginning, I completely understand a governor, uh, President Trump's, our local officials' responsibilities to keep people safe. Uh, but we have to balance that with um, the the needs and interests of our citizens, and we have to balance it with the constitutionally protected rights of our citizens. Again, I, I talked uh, at length earlier about um, the working men and women of this country. Um, some of the decisions that are made here in our, our state's capitals, in our Commonwealth's capital, really are devoid of the, the perspective of, of somebody that's sitting at home at the end of a busy day trying to figure out how they're going to you know, keep the lights on in their house, how they're going to pay their bills. Uh, a lot of the decisions that, that are made here in Frankfurt um, just, again, are, don't take into consideration or account uh, the unintended long-term, not short-term, long-term consequences of some of these decisions that are made. I, I, I know of countless, countless restaurants um, that have had to, to shutter or close their doors uh, and, and will not be opening back up again mm-hmm. because of some of the decisions that are made here in Frankfurt. And that's not a, a story that is unique to the Commonwealth. That, that's a story, Megan, that can be told all across uh, this country, and it is a sad, unfortunate story because uh, not only are you uh, affecting uh, the, the business owners themselves, but you're also uh, there. There are a lot of downstream effects as well. You've yeah. got vendors who 
uh, aren't able to, to transport to that local mom and pop business because that business is closed and they've got employees and they've got to lay those employees off. And they're waiting on, you know, dollars from the federal government that may or may not get back to the states. And, and you know, the allocations can be slow. Um, so, again, it, it is um, it is um, a very uh, difficult and a strenuous time for a lot of folks across this country. When you look at on the other side, the death rate, I mean, you look at the sheer numbers and they're, they're bad. No one's going to argue that, that we're satisfied with the fatalities that have happened in this country thanks to COVID. But the risk, the risk of dying if you get COVID is actually incredibly small if you are under age 65 and really low if you're under age 60. And you know, there there's a very strong case to be made. We had the great Barrington um, Dr. Zahn who submitted a proposal for some, you know, for limited risk taking to be allowed in order to let the country get get going again economically. I feel for the restaurant owners here in New York, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars getting heating lamps so that um, they could make meaningful outdoor seating. But now it's getting too cold. We're expecting a huge snowstorm on Wednesday. You can't sit outside with a heating yeah. lamp and then inside making you know, cutting back to 25% and cutting back on wait staff and, you know, getting rid of extra tables. And now it's all shut down. Can't, can't do any of it. Um, yeah. Anyway, you, I, you know, your point, of, well, your point about New York is I was speaking to somebody this past weekend about, you know, a lot of these restaurants, they don't make sort of their, their, their orders for food and, and, and what have you. They don't make it the week of, they make it a tough couple of weeks in advance. And so they yes. already made those allocations and, 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 made those, you know, payments for, uh, different, uh, from different vendors and then to be told that they have to shut down. I mean, that, you know, that's, again, that is short-term thinking that is not utilizing a larger, um, sort of, uh, analysis and not bringing in for input restaurant owners and other small business owners, uh, because you, you just have the limited view of, of government and, you know, you know, the, an attorney general or a governor, um, you know, they, we, we get paychecks. The government folks will get their paychecks, but men and women, uh, who are, again, on the front lines working at these restaurants or working, um, in these small businesses, you know, rely on foot traffic. And, uh, mm-hmm. it is again, um, really painful to see some of these decisions that are making, being made. And even, and even those of us who are willing to assume some risk, you know, I right. don't, I, I don't go and intermingle that much with with the society here in New York in a time like this during COVID. But I'm certainly capable of walking down the sidewalk with my husband, walking into a restaurant, staying six feet away from the other patrons, sitting at a socially distanced table, having a meal and walking back home. The government's basically saying we don't care that you're going to do that and you're going to be responsible in doing it. We you can't do it. You can't let the restaurant owner have your money because there's some chance you're going to press an elevator button in some building that somebody's going to touch and somehow get COVID, even though there's zero proof that that's ever happened. You know, it's like it, it's just the the government control and the big brother approach to this problem is uh, it's just getting out of control. And, you, and we're seeing it again as the weather gets bad and, and the, the numbers shoot back up. Back to Kentucky AG Daniel Cameron in just one second. We're going to get into the Breonna Taylor case next and the ridiculous and awful racial backlash against him as a result of what happened with the grand jury proceedings there. But first, you know how when you leave your house, you use your key and you lock it up and you deadbolt it and you make sure that your house is protected? Well, your house 
may not actually be protected because you can get ruined financially by something called home title theft. Here's how the crime happens. The legal title to our homes are kept online where they can be hacked. A cyber thief finds your home's title, forges your signature on a quitclaim deed, stating that you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans against the value of your home until all of your equity is gone. You have no idea it has even happened until the collection calls start pouring in. You find out you're not protected by insurance, by your bank, or by common identity theft programs. That is where Home Title Lock steps in to protect you. And in the unlikely event that you actually become a victim of title theft like this while you're a member with them, Home Title Lock will spend up to a quarter million bucks in legal fees to help restore your home's title. How about that? So go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim, and then use code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. And now we want to bring to you quickly a feature we call Asked and Answered here on the program where we answer some of our listener questions and we bring in our executive producer, Steve Krakauer. Uh, for this, Steve, what's what's the latest question? Yeah, Megan, we're getting lots of great questions uh, at questions at devilmaycaremedia.com. Also, lots of just general you know, emails that are that are really nice. But we also like these nice, concise questions that we sometimes get from Instagram, from Twitter, Facebook, at Megan Kelly Show on all those platforms. This one came to us from Kyle Haynes on Instagram and wants to know who is your biggest influence? Hmm. Thank you, Kyle. Um, it's my mother for sure, Linda, uh, who is larger than life and hilarious. If you want to know about my mother, you should read my book, Settle for More, because I, I made a conscious effort to include some stories in there that would reveal who she is. And everyone fell in love with her. Everybody stops me on the street to say, oh my God, I love you. I want to meet your mother though. That's that's who my I really want to meet because she's just so funny. Um, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. <laughs> like I was talking to her um, over the quarantine, you know, in last whatever March, April, and she said, "How are you doing?" I said, "Oh, good." I said, "You know, we're in Montana. Pretty soon that the bears are going to start waking up and start walking around." She said, "Oh, I'd be much more worried about the bears than I would covert 12. <laughs> what, mom? What? What? I said, Covert 12? She said, wait, I don't know what the hell it's called. It's got 50 different names. I said, mom, no, it literally has only two and Covert 12 is not one of them. <laughs> that, and just, I was talking to her last week and she was like, oh, that Dr. Fawcett, he never, st-. I'm like, no, wrong again. <laughs> anyway, she's funny and she never takes herself too seriously. And uh, that's a gift she passed on for, to me, to not take myself too seriously, never get drunk on my own wine. And uh, if I screw up, I'm pretty quick to get over it because, you know, I realize this is fun and all, but this isn't brain surgery. We don't have somebody's lives in our hands the way a, a doctor does in the OR. And so you got to keep things in perspective. Um, I have been thinking about her though this week because December 15th, it's the anniversary of my dad's death. And he died when I was 15 and um, he was 45 of a massive heart attack 10 days before Christmas, 1985. And, um, my mom was only 44 years old and she had two kids in college. And then there was me, I was a sophomore in high school at the time. And there had been no warning, not no previous heart troubles, nothing. So to say we were surprised and shocked and not prepared is an understatement, but my mom, somehow she kept it together. And I think in the way a parent has the ability to make her kid a neurotic, you know, like, don't touch that. That's dangerous. That's awful. Oh my God, that's terrible. This, that, you know, they also have the ability to be a 
a calming port in a storm. And my mom was that. My mom was upset. My mom was at times a wreck, but she always managed to find a way to laugh, to get dinner on the table, to be there to listen, counsel, support. And the the message I got from her, and it was just the two of us living in the house by ourselves for the remainder of my sophomore year, my junior and senior, um, was that it's okay. You know, tragedy comes, sadness comes, overwhelmingly awful things can happen to you suddenly and unfairly, but you're okay. You've always got people in your life you can hold on to that matter, the people who help define you, and it's certainly not anybody you're reading on the internet, you know, but the people who know you, and those are the places you retreat when difficult times come, and they matter. And, um, you know, I still got her, thank God, she'll be 80 in July. She's still making me laugh. Um, and I just think, like, if you have that one guiding force in your life to, to remind you that you're fine, this life is difficult, but it's fine. It can be a real gift. And if you don't have that real force, find it. That's where the internet is helpful, right? To find more calming voices. Or we had Sam Harris on talking about meditation. My sister-in-law, Diane, who I love, Doug's sister, she's always saying, Meg, you, you never do meditation. You never do this stuff because you're, you've never been somebody who needs that. Like this stuff has always come naturally to you, this perspective and this ability to calm your mind and so on, which is true, I will say. And that's all from my mom. My mom just never telegraphed emergency, panic, nerves, you know, breakdowns. My mom just took punch after punch and kept rolling. You know, she just kept rolling. So it's just something, something to think about for everybody this holiday season, which I know gets a lot of people down. Some, some people are totally joyful. Some people are really down. Sometimes you feel lonely. You feel like disconnected and like you're not going to make it through. And uh, just, just kind of remember that if you don't have that support system, you can find it can find it online. You can find it in line at the grocery store. If you just smile at the cashier and she smiles back and you remember that there is human connection in this world, sometimes small, sometimes large, but it all matters. You know, you can get it for yourself or someone might deliver it to your doorstep. Anyway, it's her. And I hope at one point on this show, uh, you will get the pleasure of listening to Linda, Hurricane Linda, as we like to call her. I hope you take this holiday season as, as a good excuse to reconnect with somebody who loves you and who you love and who makes you feel the way my mom makes me feel. Back to Daniel. Let's talk about the case that made you a household name, if you don't mind, and that is the Breonna Taylor case. Mm-hmm. So this case we all watched play out this year. Uh, she was the only woman who Oprah ever put on the cover of O Magazine other than Oprah, who... Um, always put herself on. And Brianna was killed in her apartment on March 13th by police, uh, three police officers who had come into the apartment executing a, a, a warrant in a drug case. And they believed that she had been helping, she may have been helping her ex-boyfriend in some way in his drug business. Um, mm-hmm. So you get the case because the local prosecutor recused himself. And so they call you up, the attorney general, and say, here you go. It's it's a case completely fraught. Um, it's in the middle of, you know, Black Lives Matter existed prior to this and would ramp up during this. And I'm wondering if you, as a guy with a very bright political future in front of you, were, were, whether you were at all worried about taking this and whether they said to you, here, will you try this? Were you thinking, oh, great. 
Well, look, let me let me say um, you've got uh, you've got the timeline down uh, pretty well. Um, when this happened uh, on the morning of March 13th, it was uh, and still continues to be a tragedy. I mean, there's no no other way to say it. Um, and uh, it is deeply saddening that uh, that Brianna Taylor lost her life. Um, there's just, again, no other way to say it. Uh, the local prosecutor uh, was conflicted out of the case. And so what happens is that at that point, um, it then goes to the attorney general to make a decision about who should be the special prosecutor. And so this office has its own special prosecutions unit, or you can uh, farm the uh, the case out to another office. The reason, and and I I, I made the decision very quickly, uh, and the, and the reason we did so is because I understood uh, that this office had the bandwidth and the resources and the level of experience to handle this case. This is what I want to ask you. This is going back to what you said earlier. You just have to be in the business of doing the right thing. I get right. it. It's It was the right thing, given all the reasons you have. But I'm thinking as a rising political star, was there any part of you that was thinking, oh, God, there's just no winning on this one. There's just no great outcome I can achieve in this role on a case like this. You know, I, honestly, Megan, it didn't, and 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 I'll point you back. I, this didn't get much coverage, but when I when I was sworn in, I was actually sworn in a little bit earlier because uh, my my predecessor became uh, the governor, and so his term started a little early. Uh, so the week after he was sworn in, he actually appointed me to start on December seventeenth. So he was sworn in December tenth. I started December seventeenth, and I had a little, a uh, small. Uh, uh, swearing in, if you will. And the comments that I made after the swearing in were, there will never be, I cannot promise any easy answers um, in this office, and there will be challenges. Um, and I hoped people would respect that, that there will be challenges and that, that there won't always be easy answers from this this office. And that is as clear as day from this case. I mean, look, they when we took it, um, again, it I, I knew it would be challenging, uh, but as I've, I've mentioned at the beginning here, is that my responsibility is to the law, um, and I have to do that without fear or favor, and regardless of what the long-term uh, prospects for me are or what the consequences are uh, for me, my, my responsibility is to do what I'm charged to do in this job uh, that I was uh, was given the chance to to do and it was bestowed upon me by the citizens here uh, in Kentucky. And so when when our investigators and our prosecutors looked at the case, um, it became very uh, clear. And, I, and I'll make the point that this was a fact-intensive investigation because we didn't uh, like what occurred with uh, uh, Mr. Floyd in Minnesota or, or others. Uh, we did not have the, the fortune of, of body camera footage uh, from the actual incident itself. So there might have been footage from after um, uh, the incident or before, but none of the actual shooting or the exchange of fire uh, or the tragic loss of Miss Taylor. Uh, that, let me just let me the, just interrupt you for one second so I can get the listeners up to speed because I don't want to go too, too far down this path without them knowing what the facts are if, if they didn't pay attention to this. Um, so the, the three police officers went over there to execute what 
what we were told initially was a no-knock warrant, but mm-hmm. they had been told after they received the warrant, you you should serve it um, as as if it's not a no-knock warrant. Go over there, knock, and announce yourself. Right. And so the police say, that's exactly what we did. We got to Breonna Taylor's apartment looking for evidence in the ex-boyfriend's uh, alleged drug, drug trafficking syndicate. We knocked repeatedly. We shouted police, warrant, open up. Um, they say they, they, it was at least six times. Um, then they, they busted down the door, went inside. And as soon as they got inside, Brianna and her current boyfriend of, of the time, Kenneth Walker, were standing there at the end of a hallway. Walker was allegedly in the firing stance, legs apart, gun at the police officers. And according to you, Walker admitted that he fired on them, that he fired first. He shot uh, Sergeant Mattingly. There were Sergeant Mattingly and two detectives in there as well. He shot Sergeant Mattingly in the femoral artery. uh, And then the officers returned fire. Ken Walker, the boyfriend, was not, I don't think he was even shot. He wasn't killed. Breonna Taylor, unfortunately, was shot and killed that night. And, And this whole case was about whether the police had committed the crime of murder or some other lesser crime in executing this warrant in the way they did. There was a dispute about whether they did, in fact, identify themselves as police, whether they yelled it. Um, Eleven people in the in the apartment area said they didn't hear that. One witness said he did hear them identify themselves. Uh, The police themselves said, of course, that they did it. Kenneth Walker said he didn't hear it. Uh, And so you had there were credibility issues to decide. Uh, There was, I I think, very little doubt that Kenneth Walker shot first and that the Mm -hmm. cops, you know, had been injured. And one of them had been potentially fatally, it could have been in the federal artery, injured and shot back. So this is all fraught. I think the viewers can understand. These are three white cops. Um, right. And Brandon Taylor was black. And so it plays in, even though there's no explicit evidence of racism here, it just plays into this ongoing alleged narrative that the police are uh, reckless when it comes to black lives. And too many of them have been taken unjustifiably. And what, what, her family wanted was murder charges against those officers, which did not happen. One, just as an aside, one of the officers was charged with wanton endangerment for randomly firing into a neighboring apartment where there was a young family. Uh, no one was hurt. And the other two, the ones who had been responsible for the firing inside of Brianna's apartment, did not get charged with anything. Um, so <laughs> after that whole thing happened, and you came out and gave a really strong press conference. I watched the whole thing and thought you were very brave, br- very brave. You didn't make excuses for the the grand juror's decision or anything. The grand jury came out and they seemed angry. They seemed angry with you. They said, um, he said that we agreed with our call not to charge those other officers that's not true. We weren't given the option to charge those other officers. We were only presented with that one possible wanton endangerment charge for the third officer. We we never heard about self-defense or justification. We didn't have homicide offenses explained to us. And um, they kind of, a couple of them turned the table back on you. So what was your response when you saw, it was extremely unusual for the grand jurors to get a motion to unseal the proceedings and to sort of come after you in the wake of that? Well, look, I, I was um, I, I still uh, am 
very confident and 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 proud of the work that uh, our career prosecutors and investigators did and the presentation uh, that they gave to the grand jury. They presented all of the facts. Um, the in terms of the recommendation that we gave, the recommendation uh, was for wanton endangerment as it relates to this third officer. Um, you know, at the time of the the press conference, obviously there were certain things that could be said and couldn't be said. And um, after uh, the unusual uh, and all, and really unprecedented decision uh, to disclose all of the information related to the grand jury proceeding uh, came out, we felt a little more comfortable uh, in talking about what that recommendation was. Um, but I've never hid from the fact that that was our recommendation. I, I again, you've eloquently put forth uh, the facts uh, of that evening uh, or the early morning of March 13th as it relates to what happened. Um, again, uh, Mr. Walker, uh, upon uh, the officers entering into or attempting to enter into Miss um, Taylor's apartment, uh, Kenneth Walker fired the first shot and, as you noted, hit uh, 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 Sergeant Mattingly. Um, and Sergeant Mattingly and Detective Cosgrove returned fire. And the tragedy here is that Miss Taylor was hit uh, and and died because of of, of being shot. And I've never uh, disputed that, but they were justified in returning fire uh, because they were fired upon. Now, there's a third officer that was at the scene, and we have uh, moved forward in prosecuting that officer because uh, of 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 uh, wanton endangerment, and I can't speak any more specifically on that. Uh, but everything that we did as it relates to the decision and recommendation uh, was based on the law and nothing else. And again, that is, I hope, what people want and in their attorney general. Frankly, I have uh, no concerns about what the, the grand jurors uh, said and have never uh, been uh, concerned about what they might say when when all of this uh, became apparent in terms of the decision to allow these grand jurors to speak. Um, it was initially our responsibility uh, to stand up for uh, the grand jury process and the confidential nature of the process. And we had other prosecutors across the Commonwealth who wrote a letter uh, encouraging. Uh, the, the judge to abide by what had been uh, historically the process, uh, which is to make sure all these things are, are closed. Um, that has been the way that grand jury proceedings have occurred uh, for as long as any of us can remember. And so uh, the prosecutors uh, and myself uh, were standing up for the institution, but it didn't matter to me what those grand jurors said, because we were, and I, again, continue to be confident in the process that we undertook. In fact, all of the information is out there about the case now. Yeah, no, you can see, you can see it for yourself. But like, let me ask you, because I have a couple questions I want to get through with you. We don't have too much time today with you. Um, if it had been served as a no-knock warrant, like they received a no-knock warrant, they received the approval for that. So if they had served it as a no-knock warrant, which is given, people don't understand sometimes, that's given out of concern for the officers. The officers can prove to a court with an affidavit that they are worried that if they give the person inside of what may be a dangerous apartment um, a heads up that the cops are about to storm in, they're going to get shot, right? And, that's, and that 
I guess there was concern about who else might be in Brianna's apartment. They got it. it if, if the cops had not identified themselves, you know, if, if you had concluded, I don't believe you when you say I yelled police coming in police. And if they hadn't knocked as, you know, Brianna Taylor's family and Kenneth Walker's family and he were, were claiming, no, they didn't identify. No, they didn't knock. Would it have been a possible manslaughter or murder situation? Well, I, I, I hate to, to speculate. And as obviously as a prosecutor, you don't want to be in the position of, of speculating on, on a case. But what I'll say, look, the, the FBI is still conducting uh, its own investigation until into the warrant process. Um, and so the but the, the, the warrant itself was the the function of, uh, you know, information that was provided to a judge and the judge ultimately decided to uh, issue a no knock warrant. And so um, whether that would have changed the analysis after a judge had uh, given the OK for a no knock warrant, I, I'm mm. I, I, again, don't want to speculate. No, I'll speculate. You have a good point. If the judge says it's okay, how are you going to hold the police officers officers liable for then doing it? I mean, that's that's a tough yeah. road to hope. I mean, the, the the pushback in general has been no more no knock warrants, even though this one does not appear to have been executed as a no knock right. warrant, which people sort of skip right. over. They just decide to disbelieve right. the officers and say, but like, are are they done? By the way, are they done now in Kentucky as a result of this case? No knock warrants. Um, so, uh, I think there's an effort underway in Louisville, uh, Jefferson County, where, where, where Ms. Taylor uh, lost her life in this uh, incident, um, to, um, uh, to really reform the no-knock warrant process. And, uh, and then there are, in our, in our legislature, our General Assembly, there are some pre-filed bills. They don't actually begin their session until January, um, to look at, uh, perhaps curtailing no-knock warrants. It'll, there'll be a large conversation about this. I know mm. uh, our office is going to uh, uh, assemble a, a a committee or a task force, if you will, to look into just warrants generally, because I think it's impro- important for an attorney general to be a part of this conversation. Um, but, uh, you know, you look, you, you talk to, to law enforcement and your point about, uh, you know, protecting um, uh, those involved in executing uh, a warrant and, and, uh, you know, really it can be for the benefit of those, uh, that are, uh, the subjects of a warrant as well. And so it'll be a, uh, a, a very robust conversation, I imagine, uh, beginning in January. Um, uh, and I know there are a lot of, uh, uh, constituencies on both sides, uh, that are well-meaning and, and, and want to talk about these things in good faith. And uh, I'll be, Curious to see how this all uh, plays out uh, uh, when the session concludes. But the problem here, too, is not only did Breonna Taylor suffer, her family, and and she lost her life, suffer terribly, but Sergeant Mattingly got shot in the leg for executing a warrant on a case that wasn't his. He was just doing his job as a cop, walked into this house, got shot, and now has been vilified, vilified by the press by Brianna's family, by Black Lives Matter supporters. And it's to the point where not only is he getting death threats, his son has been threatened with uh, kidnapping and torture. And that's the other piece of this is 
you know, what's going to happen to the morale of police officers who go in, they're executing a warrant, they get shot and they shoot in return. And in response, they get vilified by the press, their children's lives get threatened. You know, I just, I'm worried about them too. As you should be, and as, as all Americans should be. I mean, look, you, you talked about Joe Biden earlier. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting, um, to say the least, as to how he, you know, will stand up to uh, the elements of his party that are talking about defunding the police when morale uh, has already been low, and you know, some of the rhetoric that he has has put forth, and and uh, uh, Kamala Harris as well have put forth uh, that has really enabled some of this. Uh, just violent uh, uh, activity that we saw over the summer and, and, and into uh, the fall. So I, I am concerned. And uh, look, all I can do as the attorney general uh, is tell, you know, our, our law enforcement community that, uh, you know, we've we, we obviously, um, you know, appreciate and, and value uh, those that, you know, put on the uniform every day to keep our community safe and, uh uh, we, we've got to do everything we can to respect the, their commitment to serving our communities and, and keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. By the way, were those allegations about Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, you know, because the, the reason they got the warrant was they thought that she was helping him, um, like passing FedEx envelopes and so on and letting him use her house as a mailing station. Were those true? Do you do you believe those were true that she was doing that or no? Is that not true? Well, we had a very limited uh, scope in terms of our analysis as it relates to like what happened at the scene of of her death. And so Mm. um, really, that was our focus. And we never really got beyond that. I know the FBI and uh, as they take the lead on the the warrant and civil rights issues here are really looking into uh, those specific questions. Uh, But, um, you know, I'll be others to, to answer those specific questions. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point because, you know, I, I've heard that said about her many times and I've heard some folks defending the cops say she was she was part of a crime syndicate or she was at least helping a guy who was part of a crime syndicate. But that's that's an important point to know. We don't know whether that's true. That's what the police were alleging to get the warrant. And that's going to play out um, quickly. Let me ask you about the pushback you got. It was ridiculous. And you got attacked not just as a prosecutor, which that's fair game. That's, you know, you know, you know, you're going to get that. But of course, they had to go right. after your skin color. I mean, it was like, right. I here's just a sampling of what we heard. Um, Tamika Mallory, who's an activist, she's a BLM supporter. She said, you're wicked and an upholder yeah. of white supremacy. She said he's no different than the sellout Negroes that sold our people into slavery and helped white men capture our people, abuse them and traffic them. That is who you are, Daniel Cameron, a coward and a sellout. Uh, Alicia Keys called the whole thing rotten to the core. George Clooney said he was ashamed. Viola Davis called this a bullshit decision. Black Lives Matter, she said. And then you had the infamous woman on MSNBC, uh, Cheryl Dorsey, retired LAPD sergeant, say Daniel Cameron is skinfolk, but not kinfolk and should be ashamed of himself. What did you think when you heard it get personal on the, the color of your skin? Well, look, Megan, it, it's all trash and it's disgusting. And um, those comments are utterly ridiculous. Uh, you know, I wake up every morning uh, as a black man and am a black man. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think what you have seen, and again, I, I, I alluded to this earlier, is the level, the 
unbelievable level of intolerance that comes out of those who affiliate uh, with the far uh, left of the Democratic Party and uh, is often enabled by comments made by uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, The fact that um, I am a black Republican has weighed and figured heavily in these comments that have been made. If you get on my social media, Megan, I'm sure you've done this. You've seen comments that have been directed at me, comments that have been uh, directed at my wife, at my my mother. Uh, It has been um, incredibly disheartening to see some of those comments. I, look, I've, I, I've seen comments made by people that uh, a year ago, a year ago, uh, the, uh, these people were, were attending UofL, uh, University of Louisville football games with me. Uh, and so it is, um, it is par for the course that anyone who stands up for uh, the law, who stands up for facts and truth, uh, if it is in any way, or if you have a different political philosophy, uh, if they are in any way just an inkling uh, of uh, inconsistent with um, with the the convention or what is uh, told the way that black folks have to think, uh, then you are a pariah. Uh, you will be attacked, uh, and you will be. Uh, dismissed as an Uncle Tom or all the other uh, disparaging comments. But you can have this conversation with me. You can have this conversation with uh, Clarence Thomas. You can have this conversation with Tim Scott. Uh, Again, if you choose to have a view that is inconsistent with what uh, black liberals uh, and those in the Democratic Party tell you you should have, uh, then you are targeted as public enemy number one. Again, I think and I hope that my continuing to speak out in opposition uh, to this uh, this trash and this filth emboldens other black conservatives. I'm not even talking about black Republicans, just black conservatives to say that, hey, it's okay. We can stand up and not be afraid uh, of what uh, those in, in, in black liberal elite circles might say about us. Uh, it's okay for us to stand up for truth and for law and for liberty. Uh, and that's what I'm going to continue to do, uh, regardless of whether I have a position of, of, of political stature or not. It, it is my responsibility uh, to make sure that, that I stand up for the views that I believe in, that I stand up for the views uh, that are consistent with the Republican Party, and, uh, and, um, and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, at the end of the day, I think this says much more about those that have made these disparaging comments uh, than it says about me. I have consistently tried uh, to uh, not speak ill of people. That's uh, just my faith uh, uh, tells me to do that, uh, and uh, and I and I won't uh, speak ill of people. But it has been uh, disgusting to see these comments and. Um, I hope it is exposing uh, the the far left for what they really are, which is intolerant, uh, to, mm-hmm. to be quite frank. This is wrong. I got to ask you before I let you go, last question. Where do you take all of this as a future politician, right? I mean, the governorship of Kentucky, which you point out as a commonwealth. By the way, fun fact, uh, four commonwealths in the country, Kentucky, Virginia, Massachusetts, 
Pennsylvania. It's always so fun. It's like, what? What? It's so weird. Google it. But anyway, Kentucky's one of them. So the governorship or do we do we go straight for the big office and throw our hat into the 2024 presidential ring? <laughs> I'm just trying to get out of year one at this office. Uh, and I've, I've, look, I've, <laughs> I've been so honored and fortunate to, to be the 51st attorney general of the Commonwealth of Kentucky and to be uh, the first African-American independently elected to the a statewide office here in the Commonwealth and the great opportunity that's been bestowed upon me uh, by the, the men and women of all 120 counties here in Kentucky is one that I, I, I take seriously and, and hold responsibly. Uh, and it's an honor to be in this role. As you, as you noted uh, over the course of this conversation, uh, there are incredibly important issues that come across this desk. And so I, I look forward to continuing to, to work here to stand up for religious liberty and to stand up uh, for the rule of law and 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 truth, um, and uh, and uh, we'll see what the the Lord uh, has in store down the road. You are strong. I've been watching you. You are one strong guy, and you don't fold when they come for you, which they have. And you said it. This is who you are. You just have to be in the business of doing the right thing. I admire you. Can't wait to see where this goes, Daniel. Such a pleasure to meet you. Likewise, Megan. Thank you so much. Today's episode was brought to you in part by Norton 360 with LifeLock. Protect yourself from cybercrime with the top trusted ally in today's connected world. Go to norton.com slash MK to learn more. I want to tell you next Monday, this upcoming Monday on the program, we've got Jason Whitlock, who I'm really excited to talk to, former ESPN uh, journalist. Now he's with OutKick with uh, our friend Clay Travis. And those guys are shaking things up in the sports world. But Jason is going to talk to us in part about faith and the role it's played in his life and the role you might consider letting it play in yours. Um, We talk about, you know, sort of my approach to it. And I have to tell you, he inspired me. He inspired me to try a little harder and sort of rethink about the role faith plays in my life and how, how I should be prioritizing it, not just in the Christmas season, but all year round. Uh, So the sage of outkick sports, (laughs) Um, Jason Willock will come and join us and I think you're going to love him. So have a great weekend and we'll talk to you Monday. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megyn Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 